0: right now this isn't this isn't the personal finance ad where he's never sure when he goes live but happy new year to you dustin if you happen to be watching uh congrats on your 2021 all right guys we are live this is after hours on the sports cards live youtube channel we haven't had an after hours episode since really uh early november for various reasons but i'm glad to be back here with this episode we have a special guest uh co-host with me Carvin chung who just appeared with me on Sports Cards Live. But our guest of the evening is Ryan Nolan. You all know him from Breakout Cards. You know him for his card show exploits and travels. The guy has uh, covered the map. He's logged like a million and a half miles this year. He's, uh, he's gold status on all the airlines now. They know him by name. They know him by name at all the airports because he has been to 52 card shows. He is also the author of the newly released book on Amazon called Spotting Fakes. There it is right there. He just got his copies. Uh, I did. Just,
1: I think, today all right is over great. there. All right over there. So 100 copies, which I'm going to be signing and everything like that. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations. First of all, I knew that you had your goal of 52 shows in 2021 because you wanted to be able to say that you did a show a week. And sometimes yeah. you didn't go, sometimes you did two shows in a day. Sometimes you, you were in one city on Saturday, another city on Sunday. And uh, so, yeah, you know, pretty cool that you, that you managed to accomplish that goal. But among, along with all that, you work a full-time job, you work in data analytics, you have a new podcast that actually addresses that. Um, and So full-time job, you travel to 52 shows. I believe you've got a girlfriend in your life. You found time to write a book. You found time among all this to write a book as well. And you edit all your own video. Like you're a busy guy, man. I want to start off by asking you, how do you find the time?
1: Do you sleep? I do sleep about five hours a night, but it's a lot of like managing everything throughout the day. I mean, for the book, mostly I wrote it during lunches at work. So instead of taking time off and just relaxing, started typing all that up. And when I got home from work, I'd edit videos. If I had free time after that, I'd continue to write the book. And also my good friend, Steven, who helps run Breakout, he helped write a lot of the, like the player bios while I was doing the research on all the fake cards. So that way we could have half the book with the bios of the players so people can learn about the players that the cards apply to.
0: That's a good strategy, right? Divide and conquer. I love it. I love it. And uh, how how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I'm 23 years old. 23 you've got you've got you've authored a book that is selling on amazon guy i'm gonna throw this up for everybody on the ticker right now here's where you can follow ryan on instagram you can buy his book spotting fakes on amazon and i even want to give everybody a bit of a background as to why he's even here with us today like how do ryan and i know each other and it really goes back about a year already i would say you kind of cold called me on instagram one day saying hey uh you know this is what I do. You want it? You want it? I'd I'd like to kind of chat with you. We chatted. I'm like, yeah, this guy, this kid's, this kid's got potential, right? He's all, he's very passionate about the hobby. Loves his vintage, loves the history. We brought him, we brought you on the show. I called you my card show correspondent or the card show correspondent for Sports Cards Live. Every quarter you came on and talked about what was going on. I thought we'll do a, a year in review sort of thing, or just let you kind of summarize your year of travel. So that's kind of, What brought you around for uh for the show today and also so everybody knows ryan does want to give away a copy of his book spotting fakes to one of our viewers today so at some point in the show we will do a a bit of a trivia question uh which i know the answer to and i know ryan knows the answer to but we'll do that we'll do that at some point ryan whenever you're whenever you want to do that just let me know and we can uh we can do that
1: we'll do it when we talk a little bit later about what we recorded this week sounds good sounds good so well, let's get
0: into it. I mean, first of all, Carvin, I want to ask you, and you are on mute in case you forget, Carv. Do you have you ever known anyone else, Carvin, in the sort of in the history of the hobby that has managed to go to 52 shows in a year that, that was just that was a collector, someone who didn't work for a, a card company? You're on mute.
2: Yeah. I don't I don't think I have except for maybe some dealers. Some dealers maybe do it. That even 52 card shows a year is is phenomenal. You know, that's like going to every single stadium or even stadium and triple A stadium in one year. Yeah. That must be impossible. So that's, I think there was one episode that you said you were going to three shows in one weekend. Was that right?
1: So I've done two episodes of that. I did three shows in one day and then three shows in 24 hours. Crazy. That's crazy. What is,
0: Ryan, so your 2021 goal, mission accomplished. What is your goal for 2022?
1: Do you have a similar type of goal as far as attending shows? So this year, I do want to take some time off. I really, really like got tired towards the end, and it kind of felt like a job at a certain point. Like, I went to the Philly show and flew in, flew out the same exact day, but I kind of dreaded because I was up 24 hours straight between all the travel and everything, and it wasn't really enjoyable. So what I realized is I need to take at least one week off every month. So I'm trying to do 40 shows this year, and I'm going towards my next goal, which is going to a card show in all 50 states. Now, I know there's not a show in all 50 states yet, But when we get closer, let's say in the 40s, upper 40s, I'm going to start reaching out the LCSs in those states and see if we can do like an impromptu type show or maybe the first show in that state to knock those off the list. So this year is really trying to get a lot of those extra states. I'm going to still try to go to some of the bigger shows. Obviously, I'm going to be going to the national. I'm going to go to a few Dallas shows, but I'm not going to be continually going to the same show over and over again. We're not really focusing a lot on the Florida shows. I want to travel more.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So Listen, to give us your, I'll just let you kind of freestyle ramble on a bit, but 52 shows in a year, you, what I think is the coolest aspect of that fact is that you got to sense the vibe of the hobby in so many different places and so many different markets. So many, you saw so many different vendors, so many different venues, and you also like to try the food in the different cities you go to, but let's keep it to cards, but <laughs> But talk a bit about like, you know, how how you found the experience and what are some of the best shows like what what regional shows are are better than they than you'd expect them to be like, what are some of the best shows and where did you get a couple of the deals you did just please take take it away.
1: Yeah, so I mostly stayed everything towards the east. I really haven't explored much of the West Coast yet, so I can't really talk about some of the different California-type shows. I do plan on going there this year. I think they have a show in L.A., which is towards the end of the month. I know there's also Mint end of the month, so I have to decide which one of those two I'm going to um, all the way over there. But on the East Coast side things, I really like Chantilly show. I like the Philly show quite a bit. The reason for that is there's so much vintage there. There's a a ton of different dealers. At Chantilly, I saw a lot more non-sports. I also saw tickets there, which I don't know a lot about tickets yet. But I know a lot of people in the hobby have been starting to really, really get into the ticket side of things. But there's also non-sports. So like music cards, different things like that, you could find a little bit of that at the show. And I found that pretty cool. Philly, though, is probably about 60, 70% vintage. Did really well there finding stuff. Like For example, pull it over here. I have it on the stack. Where's it at? Another stack. I'll grab it real quick. There we go. So I was able to find a propaganda of Jimmy Fox at the show. And I believe this is his last card. Uh, this is from Cube, if you guys don't know. And it's from 1946. Super thin card. This is the highest graded, although it is a miscut. And kind of tough you put in the light. Don't know if I can see, but. You can really see through the card the back over here in all Spanish. But you're able to find these type of cards where like online marketplaces these pop off, but it's so hard, it takes forever to find a specific player. Now, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was gonna say sorry. Another one of my shows which I really really liked, and I actually picked up my biggest football card to date was Wisconsin Dells, and I was able to trade for this card right here, the Jim Brown. Nice. And and that's a story in itself. So, it all started with a Carmen Electra refractor card and Tiger Woods back in January when this cards went out of control. So, at a local show in Florida, Tiger Woods cards skyrocketed. I went through dollar boxes, five dollar bins, and I found two Tiger Woods rookie cards. I found a Carmen Electra card in a dollar box, which I saw online they're selling for like ten to twenty dollars. And I ended up trading those cards in a hundred dollars cash and a Steph Curry refractor or prism and like a 10 or $15 box for a Bob Gibson rookie card, which was a PSA four. I, I wanted the Gibson for a while. And I just brought the shows because I thought, you know, maybe someone wants a Bob Gibson make leverage that into a trade. Took that to the Wisconsin Dells show and was able to trade that a 54 Ted Williams as a PSA three, a 48 Jack Johnson leaf, which isn't a playing day card in 800 cash. And I was able to get the Jim Brown. And I think this is like a $3,000 card. Now I had probably like 11 $1, or $1,200 into it super super cool card of Jim Brown
0: so considering that you travel show to show state to state are you are you noticing the potential to you know buy low in one market because of regional discounts and sell higher in another
1: market because of a regional premium you definitely can with that the only problem is a lot of dealers now are focusing directly on comps They don't really care about the regional differences. Obviously, all dealers are different, but they'll look at something and say, all right, this is the comp. This is what I can pay you. But if they're going to be at a local show, they're going to charge a little bit more for that team. So you kind of have to leverage it. One of the things that I really liked, and I know we talked about this a little bit on Hobby Hotlines, is looking for the oddball out on a dealer. And even like that, Jim Brown was an example of the oddball out. The dealer had mostly modern cards. I saw the Jim Brown and traded for it. I'm going to look for a few other cards that I found that were oddball out. Um, Let's see. I want these at let's see those were all there.
0: I'm gonna do some comments. You you keep looking, take your time. I want to go through the comments. We have Michael Hamm, good evening, and welcome back. Jonathan Allen, Jacob Dahl says, welcome back, fellas. Good to be back. Transparent grading team loves your book, Ryan. Aaron Westbrook, (laughs) let's go cards Saturday night for sure. For sure. (laughs) Troy, welcome back. Aaron Westbrook yep. says, "When are you coming to Maine again?" I think he's talking to you, Ryan.
1: I haven't been to Maine yet, so I need to go up there for a show. So he'll make his way out there. He'll make his way yep.
0: out there. Daniel Busby, awesome after hours. <laughs> let me make another scotch. <laughs> pour it, Daniel. Just pour it. You don't need to make it. Jim lets us all know that Ryan is also a cricket card collector. Yeah, up. So, this, so at the I was this kid Nash- crushes it. Says Aaron Westbrook. There's a cricket card right there.
1: <laughs> yep. So I picked up I picked up a few cricket cards before at the National. When my friends gave me this Sashen from 1996. It's not his true rookie card. He has a 1992 that finally sold an auction, but it's crazy expensive. But his 96 is available. This is the base one. There's also one numbered to 5,000, but that is the Sashen, who's considered one of the greatest cricketers of all time, probably top three. And um, going back to trades, so this was another one. I got this in a Dallas card show, which is a Cy Young. And I was able to leverage a Nolan Ryan rookie card. I was able to trade that pretty much directly for the Cy Young, I think 100 or $200 cash and some Jack Flaherty autograph cards. I like Flaherty as a pitcher. So I was like, all right, let's throw those in. Um, but I felt it was harder to find a Cy Young from a T205 than it is a Nolan Ryan rookie. This was a base one. It wasn't a Venezuelan. It wasn't a Milton Bradley or a So replaceable versus the T205. And it's a nice one. The only issue with this one, there's some paper loss on the back, but it presents extremely well. I have a three, for example, which is another Dallas card show trade of Christy Mathewson. And you can see like very oh, similar yeah. on the fronts. So the yeah. Cy Young presents so well. And I was like, might as well do it. Grab but it. Really cool. Another. I one want to ask you a-
0: this, Ryan, because you you speak of vintage as if it's just second nature to you, even when you just listed off all those brands, which I think I hadn't heard of a couple of them when you were writing your book, spotting fakes along with your buddy, Steve, how, like how much did the re the research you did to complete that book? How much of that was brand new information to you when it comes to like the history of the hobby and the various sets through the ages Uh, versus how much did you you already know? How much did you learn just by virtue of writing this book?
1: I knew about a lot. I'd say 95, 98% of them. I have to look through the checklist again. But the biggest things I learned were some of the different alterations, which I didn't realize. For example, like before writing the book, I didn't realize people were pressing out creases and trying to hide them over that, or people were really trying to paint over creases as well. I knew people altered cards as in cutting them. And replacing backs often with like OJs or some older tobacco cards to try to scam people in that ways. But I didn't know about like pressing a card and how you could actually detect that.
0: Let me ask Carvin a question about pressing a card because there's actually an account on Instagram that regularly posts before and after pictures of vintage cards, largely from the 60s, 70s and 80s, where this individual will get rid of creases and, and wrinkles. And I'm not sure how the hobby feels about that. I think I, I think I know, but I'm not 100% sure how the hobby feels about that. So I want to, I'm gonna ask Carvin this question, Carv. How should the hobby, or how does the hobby, respond to a card that was once creased, but somebody is able to effectively remove that? Almost without a trace of it ever existing, and not impacting any other parts of the card, is that is that a faux pas? Is that a no no, or is that accepted?
2: So here's here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll go with the comic book industry. So uh, with CGC, is it CGC? Yeah, CGC that does the comic books. They used to not press the cards, uh, comics, but now they do press the comics to help give it that nice binding look and everything. So I think the fact that's not using any foreign substance and you're just pressing it uh they're probably fine with it now I don't know if the press is involving steam or water or anything of that nature I think that could affect the the, the card so I think by the hobby it's probably not going to change and um mm. however if you're a purist that may that becomes a problem right if you're a purist right. he's like hey uh, if there's a crease I want to see that crease unfortunately yeah. you know, without knowing provenance, you're not, not going to know if it happened or not Right. And I'm sure people back in the day, 20, 30 years, 40 years ago, they know how to get rid of some of these, you know, you know like gum stains, right? Like, are you concerned about gum stains? I don't let gum stains bother me. Like the, you know, the, the backside of the gum and you can kind of rub it off or any you know, that type of stuff. So um, I'm not as concerned about pressing. I'm more concerned about touch-ups, trimming, all that, all those yep. other elements that are the no nos For those. sure.
0: How about, how about you, Ryan? I mean, writing the book, talking to people at 52 card shows over the year, what's your, I'm curious, what's your perception on the hobby's uh, position on the removal? And it's important. Carvin made a really good point there. The removal of creases or wrinkles without using any foreign substance.
1: Yeah, I think the foreign substance is where the line is, especially like if you can't get out a crease and someone paints over the car, that's some type of alteration with it. But if you're able to really get rid of the crease without Damaging the card or the card stock in any means and it's not detectable. That's a little bit different. I know it's kind of like a gray area where it's like, is it really an alteration or is it just kind of prep a card? And I know like a lot of Chrome cards today, there's people that will prep them, get rid of scratches. So the same philosophy could be applied to that. And I don't know for sure, but I think grading companies don't really look at that specifically. Okay.
0: All right. I want to do a few more comments here. I like this one. Aaron Westbrook says, I wish Zion had half of your work ethic. (laughs) That's that's a great comment. Uh, Rich says, congratulations on the book. It's a huge accomplishment. Definitely. Troy gives you the thumbs up. 23 years old and loves his vintage stuff too. No doubt.
1: Especially especially the pre-war.
0: Kudos from uh, Kurt Renault says, "Uh, great job. Looking forward to a great after show. Thank you, Kurt. Lapper in the house. Richard Williams getting a good laugh out of this. Frankie in the house still. Always good to see you, Frankie. From Puerto Rico, round two. Let's go. Birds on the bat. I'll take it. No need to look any further. Maybe in regards with respect to the book. Uh, Skeppy makes a very astute comment here. You can pull this travel (laughs) kind of stuff off when you're young. Nice I'm not sure I even remember when I was 23. I remember my 23. 23 was a good year for me. Uh, when i was twenty three long time that was when you that's when you had
1: that you had the card shop right
0: i was it was uh just after the card shop actually just after we we closed the shop uh frankie says not a state but if you want to come visit puerto rico you are welcome to my store anytime there you That'd go cool Very to check nice, out not
1: Frankie not a far Very flight nice. from Florida
0: yeah not that far not that far Michael Ham. <laughs> I saw Ryan at shows this year more than I did most of my family yeah well so that yeah.
1: means
0: Michael Michael Ham's right there. into He's, He's in Florida making his way through the card shows. Troy says, Ryan, you went to 52 shows. How many of those did Steven attend with you in 2021?
1: I'd probably say 20 to 30. I Don't know the no. full number on top of my head, but I traveled a lot of outstates. He always would show to the in-state shows. Sometimes when you go out of state, it's really expensive between all the flights, meals, and everything like that. So it adds up. Yeah. We got Teapot
0: in the house. Teapot, good to see How's you. Welcome to the Welcome to the show. Anthony George. I buy a book, but I want it autoed. Fair enough. Well, Ryan will be having some autographed copies available. David G. Happy New Year to you. Buying oddball. Buying the oddball is great advice. Found some of my best purchases with that strategy. Awesome. Awesome. researching. says, only live show now. Welcome to the live show, Anthony Aiello. Welcome, welcome. Joe Perot, my guy in Santa Cruz. Those Alabama waffles look pretty good, Ryan. If this card thing doesn't work out, there's always the food channel. Just kidding. Love your work. Which is, it's a nice thing. With Ryan. When you watch a video on breakout cards, you know, Ryan does his his card show vlogs. You're, you're seeing content from the card show. You're seeing the deals he's doing. He gives you some historical information about the players he's trading away or trading for. And then he shows you the food he's eating as well. Sometimes you might even yeah. see him playing the guitar. The guy's multi-talented. This guy's got a lot going on for for a young guy like that. Vintage cards likes the T two hundred five. Lots of comments coming through. Frankie says pressing mostly used on comics. One comic book restore has worked on vintage cards, so really corroborating what uh, Carvin was saying. Ink paper says pressing is altering, plain and simple. So there's a there's a position. Position. Pressing is all, but but then let me ask this: is is a creased card an altered card? Because you can see that in a PSA one, two, or three holder, and no one really cares that it's been creased. So, if the if the act of creasing a card, or if the act of removing a crease is altering, what's the act of creasing the card? Is that altering too? Or but is it acceptable altering? Because it's usually done just you know, but very organically or by mistake. I don't. That's a interesting. Is,
1: that is a good viewpoint.
2: I never thought of that one.
0: Carve, you want to pipe in
2: on this? No, i I feel the same way. I mean, it's the one thing is that it's not detectable. That's the bigger problem, and I think uh, even graders cannot detect if it's been pressed. So I, I think the right. only way
1: the only way they would have to measure the thickness of the card and see if it's been altered with that, but tough with that.
2: Well,
0: Andrew uh, Andrew Kierstead says uh, it's frowned upon. Anthony George, I'm not for any alterations of a card. No clue on comics, but not cards with three exclamation marks. So he's passionate about that. Uh, Tony Card says, isn't that just correcting cards like cleaning them? That's what I'm getting at. Isn't it just putting it back to the original state because of the accident or the, the organic wear? I mean, hey, I'm not saying one way or the other, just discussion.
2: So what about uh, cutting cards from the uncut sheets then? Or well, hand cut cards? See." That it becomes a very touchy, a very sensitive area of discussion. It does. But then there's, but then there's, and I talked
0: about this the other day. Uh, actually, I talked about it on Ryan's show when we did. Uh, Ryan had me on his on his uh, YouTube show just actually. He dropped the video yesterday, I believe. Uh, and we talked. I showed a card from my personal collection, which is a box bottom card. So a box bottom card is, you know, the card was printed on the box on the bottom of it. Obviously, hand cut. But those cards didn't come from full sheets. The only way to get them on their own was to hand cut them from that. The difference with a a full sheet of cards that were also used in the original production process is that those are cut by someone other than the company and and never pack inserted the way the rest of the cards from that print run, run were. So there's definitely a distinction between a sheet cut card versus a box bottom. But I hear I hear what you're saying is... That, that's a whole That's a whole discussion.
1: And the perforated cards, too. I mean, like the Sports Illustrated for kids or also Burke Ross. I mean, are we talking about keeping the double panels together for Burke Ross or when people separate them and you have two different cards now? And I know PSA 80. grades them both together and also separately as well.
0: And 80 yeah. tops basketball, right? There's another yep. example, which obviously the preference is to have those cards together. But uh, listen, we don't need to get in too deep, but it's worthy of, uh, of just sort of a, a surface level discussion. And it's definitely interesting. And there's going to be a bunch of different positions on that. And I, I think that's okay. Uh, unless Ryan puts a book, a chapter in his uh, sequel, you know, kind of laying down the law. But, um, you know, I don't think anyone can really do that these days no. in the hobby. You know, back well, in the my... 80s, when when the when, when Dr. Beckett put out his magazines, you know, that those became the law of the hobby, but nowadays with the with simply with, with the internet and content, uh, it's gonna be tough for any one entity to to lay down these rules for the hobby. Like it was it was a lot easier back in the day, I would say. Any comments from either of you?
1: I was just say, who is I to decide if people can separate cards or not or cut them out of magazines? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh vintage
0: oddball card says that uh, we need more young collectors like ryan collecting pre-war cards ryan do you know do you run into anybody else yes your, of your age
1: speak there, there's a there's, there's a few teenagers as well uh like some fans of the channel would send me pictures like hey i'm only like 18 or 20 years old and i started collecting pre-war and they're showing me their pickups there's one guy out of st louis uh, he's gonna start a youtube channel hopefully next year and i don't want to spoil all his collection but he's he was in one of the dallas card show vlogs and he picked up a christy matthewson portrait in dallas huge passion for pre-war as well so there's a lot more people coming out there that are interested on that side thing the whole the whole difference is like there's a lot of people that just watch basketball games or baseball games and only collect the players that they see on tv versus other people that are going to go back throughout the history and learn all the different players learn about their statistics and learn about their importance or significance on a sport all that as well you have to learn all the different brands you have to learn about printing it takes a lot of time you can't just go straight into pre-war
0: yeah i i I hear you. It's it is like it's like most things. I think Carvin has said it before. I, I, many people have. You know, you kind of start with the players you watch as a collector. You start with your team of the day, and then as your collecting matures and evolves, you start to look backwards into history. I want to put another question to Carvin now, based on this topic. Carvin, in your opinion, how important is it that we have younger people, uh, like Vintage Oddball says? Who are collecting and interested in pre-war cards? Is that is that important? Is it critical to the hobby? Is it is it just uh, kind of a benefit, or is it not
2: important? No, it's definitely important because, you know, the next generation. We're worried about them forgetting about the historians of the sport. Like, think about it. I mean, there's there's so many players in the '70s and '80s we've kind of forgotten about. Like, you know, talk about like, let's say we talk about hockey. Let's, look at the uh, New York Islanders. How many of the New York Islanders do we know outside of Bossy and and uh (laughs) trotter right it comes down to it so so that's the problem without new collectors collecting those cards there's going to be a lot of forgotten players and and a lot of them are hall of famers and going to pre-war same thing I mean you know but there is a reason why and I was I was actually thinking about this the other day and sorry to go on a, a different tangent but why people collect new cards and it's always the validation of you've got it right so a lot of people like picking rookies and then when they finally get it right, they can tell and they can flex on everyone saying, See, I was right about this player. So there is that type of flexing on people saying that I knew all along this player was going to be good. They could have 20 of them that were flops, but they have the one that's good. And they you know, it's like the guy that goes to the casino that yeah. he wins once out of twenty times and he'll tell you at the time he won a lot, but meanwhile he probably lost more money overall. Exactly. Right. But it's exactly. the validity of what they what they <laughs> what they saw, what you could predict. But with yeah. war cards, you know what you're getting, right? So I'm, I'm waiting for him to get his, his first Cap Anson card.
1: I want wow. to get a Cap Anson. Steven, who also wins breakout, has two or three Cap Anson's. He just picked up the Mayo, and I was like, man, I wanted that card. They're so cool. I have a few mo- boxing Mayos, but I don't have a baseball right. Mayo yet. I about
2: Very a Goodwin cool. Champions? you So get Brendan?
1: Goodwin- I, I, have a, I have a John Sullivan Goodwin Champion from 88, so I picked that up recently. One of the greatest boxers.
0: That's a that, That's an iconic card. I know he has iconic cards. I should say Brendan Ryan says the old age question of conservation versus alteration baubles and ball card says, I don't know that pressing a crease would necessarily remove it for grading purposes with that x-ray machine SGC showcase in that video with SCI. I'd assume it would still show up. I I suppose it might, but it's certainly going to look a lot better than if that crease was all still there. Skeppy says preservation is accepted in just about every other collectible category except trading cards. It's accepted in books, comics, art, etc. For some reason, it's a cultural issue in cards. I, I uh, agree with that. I Todd, agree mostly. Wants, here's say
1: coi-
0: Todd B wants to no, know, do chicks love vintage? They do love the long ball. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say something there, Ryan?
1: Oh, yeah. I was going to say the, uh, another industry that really is frowned upon for like alterations is coins. Like They do not want to see coins altered in any bit at all. And like the value goes down significantly. I'm not a coin expert by any means, but I remember from watching a bunch of Pawn Star episodes where they talked about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, birds on the bat. I mean, you guys have something in common. Same vintage. You both live in Florida. Hopefully you guys can meet at an, at an upcoming show. Andrew says, how many people in that 45 to 65 age range run nice sports card IG pages compared to the upcoming nine to 25 year olds that will be showcasing sick cards? That's a, That's a good question. He says card growth is coming. Let's go. I mean, I fall in the, I fall in that forty five to sixty five age range, and um, I like to think I keep it decently nice. You know, when I, when it's not too much about upcoming uh, episodes of this, I try and throw some nice cards up there. But I don't. I, you're right. I, I, guys like me can't really compete with the younger uh, the younger guys who catch on to the technology much quicker than we do. Uh, Jordan Rivers says, interesting, didn't think of that before. Most would say I don't have pages or followers, so I don't know what that's sorry about. So I am behind in the comments here. We're about eight minutes behind, so uh, let's see. Bird says, a crease is and a press is in turn altering it. Pressing is akin to recoloring to me, restoring the damage, but it's definitely much more difficult to detect. And Frankie jumps in and says, there's a fine line between restoration and alteration. Restoration is done on basically all high-end markets, art books, and coins. One of the more most important things is having records of it, even cars, right? Car, it's all about re- restoring and
1: you know original paint or repainted.
0: Yeah, original paints, original paints, very important, but yeah, a lot of uh a lot of similarities and a lot of differences in all these different uh, genres of, of collecting and value. Simon says, I just blew everyone's mind with that crazy question. <laughs> really did. It was a good question, I'll admit. That was a good question. That was a good question. Thanks, Simon, for recognizing for sure. Vintage says, leave, just leave the card alone, guys. Just leave the damn card alone. <laughs> all right. Um, so Ryan, let's let's get back to, to the book. So Spotting Face, how's it doing so far? When did it actually release on Amazon?
1: Yeah, so it released about two weeks ago, and so far between Amazon and then the signed copies, we sold about two hundred fifty to three hundred. I have to check the numbers fully, but we're selling a decent amount of numbers out there, and I'm pretty happy with it. Well, big congratulations! Day,
0: how, how are Thank hey, you? Hey, your family is your family. Uh, do they know you got a book selling? Out? Do they know that you're a bona fide author now? And are <laughs> they proud of you? What's what does the family think? Yeah,
1: they're they're very proud that I was able to write the book. Like, I don't know how you did it with all your your crazy scheduling, but congrats on getting that done, and. Um, I was going to say, the one thing with spotting fakes is next year, I want to really try to get it into some card shops and also dealers. So that way it can get exposed to people that might not know the YouTube channel or that follow on Twitter, or Instagram.
0: Got it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, an accomplishment, man. Really happy for you with it. Let's talk a bit about your, your podcast, or I should say your podcast. So you obviously do um, breakout cards on, on on YouTube. And now you've partnered up, actually. So this is outside of breakout cards, I believe. You've partnered yep. up with uh, with Jordan from Sports Card Analytics, and the two of you have created a new podcast called Moneyball, Moneyball Cards, I think. Moneyball, Moneyball Cards. Cards. And so you guys, you got, both you and Jordan both actually have careers in data analytics. So you're taking your career skills and now you're applying them to the hobby in the form of a podcast, again, called Moneyball Cards. How's
1: it going so far? It's been fun. We just also, as funny enough, reached 250 subscribers on there. And what we're trying to do is we're applying a lot of advanced statistics that are in sports, but also applying to the cards, see if that can predict card prices or if there's any correlations. So um, I, I know a lot about baseball. So I talk about like Sierra with pitchers or XFIP. And then I also look at batters and try to explain to people like OPS plus. It's a much better statistic to look at than just batting average. I uh, just recorded an episode yesterday. which we was just talking about Joey Gallo. Now, Joey Gallo, I wouldn't recommend investing in or buying a lot of cards if you think you're going to make a lot of money. But his batting average last year was 199. And if you look at it just from like a pure baseball stats standpoint of a batting average, people think that's really, really low. It's horrible. But I was l- looking at his OPS plus, which takes in, in factor on base percentage, slugging percentage, and then your OPS and uh, averages out. His OPS plus is over 100, which means he's a better player than average across baseball. So although his batting average is very, very low, probably bottom 10 percentile in baseball, he gets on base more often than other players and also hits a lot more doubles, triples, or home runs than other people. So his OPS plus is a better stat to look at. Another player, for example, that people are like borderline Hall of Fame or not is Joey Votto. But you really take a look at his advanced stats like OPS plus. You also take a look at his war, which is wins above replacement. He is a Hall of Fame caliber player, although he just needs a few more years to pad his stats from a traditional standpoint.
0: So are you guys specifically looking for sort of these under the radar opportunities or or, you know, trends that may not quite be on on the general hobbies radar uh, at this at, at that specific point in time and bring in some of these things to light?
1: A little bit. And also just taking a look at the stats like I was talking about OPS plus and trying to educate people. Like this is something you should look at. Don't look at batting average because it shows you a lot more details on that. He talks about basketball stats, UFC. I talk about baseball primarily, but we're going to expand upon multiple sports as I read more sports analytics books and then also apply obviously what I'm from the job.
0: Right on. And then on breakout cards you're doing, and I'm bringing this up because uh, I was the subject of your video that just dropped yesterday, but you're doing a series um is it it's a collector series and i i I don't you brought me on as a collector to kind of go through the history of hockey cards and we did i used my own cards for my collection to to illustrate um you know as best as i could with those sort of the history what talk about that series and and how many how deep you are into it and uh, what the plans are
1: for it yeah i believe we just finished episode 13 or 14 which was yours And every single week, I'm trying to interview a different collector across different sports. So this week, I did yours, which was hockey. Uh, Earlier, I did golf as well this week, which I did with my friend John when I was out in Alabama. I got to see his collection in person. And the week before that, I did a collection on cricket cards. So I'm trying to do different sports, different sets, and just have people show their passion throughout the hobby, what they collect because you should be an expert on your own PC and try to educate people on that. And that way people see much more than just baseball cards or basketball cards or football cards. They might learn about a specific set on the pre-war side of things might learn a lot more about cricket cards who WG Grace is or Sasha Tendulkar is or all these different types of people and learn that there's so much more to cards than just modern prism that's getting produced today. And, And it brings back to the spotting fakes. So, Anyone who has watched that episode, I want to give away one copy of this. What was the 1933 oh, sports oh, case? Hold oh, on, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. All hold right, on, all right, hold all, all, right on. all right. So, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so man. Ryan wants to give
0: away a copy of his book, but before he does, we just have to set we just have to kind of have have a time in in the chat. So, guys, Ryan is about to give away a copy of his book, Spotting Fakes. He's going to drop the question. It's a trivia question, and um, not everybody's going to have access to the answer. So um, yeah, you got to be lucky to have the answers. Hopefully somebody on this video, so hopefully somebody watching here today, watched the video on Ryan's channel uh, with me as his guest that dropped again, just yesterday. If we don't get an answer to this, Ryan, well, we'll have to, well, someone will figure it out. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to call off Please, no comments in the chat, guys, for a moment. I'm going to put a, a line in the chat, and uh, and Ryan, go ahead and ask the Ready? question right now. Then I'll put the line in the chat, and then the first person to answer correctly is going to win uh, a copy of Spotting Fakes from Ryan. Yep.
1: Okay, this this question. Book. It'll be this book exactly, so I'll sign it right after here. So in the episode, Jeremy showed one of his sports kings from 1933. This is an example of one that I have, which is Eddie Shore pick this up in a trade at a card show. Who is that player? All
0: right. Don't answer yet. If you answer now, you're going to be disqualified. I'm going to put up the line in the chat and then you put in your answers. Here it comes. All right. There's the line. Let's see if we get it. If we get a correct response to that question, Ryan, let's see if anyone's video (laughs) on your channel with me in it. Nothing yet. Nothing yet. People love that episode. Ink. Paper wax collector, I think ink paper wax collector got it right. First one,
1: Howie Morenz is the correct answer. There you go. Message me on Instagram and I'll get that shipped out. I'll sign this one exactly.
0: There you go. Very good. Okay, there we Albert Jones had the right answer a little bit late. Troy was the Troy was the first one with an answer. He said Gordy How, but Gordy How wasn't oh. in the set. Gordy How was not in the set, so you were disqualified right out of the gate, Troy. Must have been
1: really, really young at that point.
0: Uh, we we had Charlie Conacher guess. We had a couple of guesses for Eddie Shore. Albert Jones said M- Mernez, but I think he meant Murnes, but he came in after Ink, Paper, Wax, Collector. We had a guess of George Vezina. <laughs> Ken's, Ken's, Ken, I, I don't know how to say this guy's last name. Stabler, Stabler. Joe, it's, Joe, it's my buddy Joe's favorite player. I still don't know how to say it. Carvin, how do you say this guy's last name? Is it Stabler or Stabler? Stabler. 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 All right, guys finally I it it. see i could have told you it was more you could have oh, told yeah you. you're on the show you're not <laughs> eligible i <don't> know <laughs> ink paper wax collector congratulations and and thank you ryan for giving away a copy on uh on sports cards live i appreciate it man That's hey, really no cool problem really cool okay so 52 shows you wrote a book um what else what else you want to talk about Ryan? i mean you know, we're after hours. I like to think it's more it's a I try for it to be a little bit more relaxing for myself than than the the uh, the traditional sports cards live. We had a great episode with Carvin earlier. But uh, what else do you want? So so what I why I say that is I don't, I don't have a ton of notes, a bunch of uh, bullet points ready to go. So we're going to start freestyling, and keeping it open. Sure. So, Ryan, I'm going to put it to you. Give us, uh, so give you us got-
1: something. Does the chat want to ask some questions about the 52 shows or the book, or do you guys want to see some pickups from this year across the 52 shows and the stories behind the cards?
0: I I mean, I, am going to answer that one. We want to see some pictures, uh, some cards from the 52 shows and the stories bank carve. You want to jump in with something?
2: I was going to ask him what music cards he's going to start buying since he's a musician. And I have, I have,
1: I have a big music PC. I just haven't been sharing those cards yet because I need to finish building some runs. (laughs) <laughs> what, what is your uh what
2: is, is there is there anything you want to talk about allude to
1: i have a lot of the panini stickers from the 70s so i've been collecting those a few hendrix's as well that i picked up a while ago so i'm trying yeah. to build out my pc with those and then make some content based around that
2: okay great. I, even picked,
1: great I even picked up some in north carolina at a card show some zeppelins and pink floyds as well which i really liked but i didn't put them in the video yet
0: Okay. So let's do it in this order then. I'm going to, a couple questions from the chat first. Um, Let's do this. So uh, Skeppy says, Ryan, your thoughts on John Madden passing? What did he mean to you?
1: Yeah. So I played a lot of John Madden or Madden football games when I was younger. I haven't really played video games probably six, seven years, but I remember spending countless hours on that. And I know it was also a big impact on the sport of football and everything like that.
0: Awesome. And uh, Beavis Card says, what is your favorite city to travel to for a show, food, etc.?
1: Oh, man, I always like Dallas because there's really good barbecue and also Mexican food. Nashville was awesome as well. Really good barbecue and obviously a music city. So ton of live music that you can check out after the card show. Awesome. And uh, so, Carvin, for
0: you now, Daniel Busby, uh, he asked, I think the question was something like, can you confirm that Upper Deck only ever had one game used uh, Tom Brady jersey to use for cards?
2: I, I couldn't tell you how many jerseys we went to. I mean, I don't remember. I, I never really worked on football. It's just basketball and uh, and hockey. I do know that um, So for the Patriots, they only use one jersey per style per year. They don't use more than that. And thus, every time that his jerseys come up, the only way you can get them is through the, the NFL auctions. And they go for a lot of money, even back before this whole craze of uh, the sports card and the game use market. So even 10 years ago, any of his jersey would show up and it would be like forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 for his jersey. So everything has been used at a very, very small usage. So I don't know how many jerseys were there. And I don't know what the timeline he's looking at. Um, but based on my timeline, the only thing that you can look at is I think Spinatron has the only NFL shield. That's probably what he's looking at uh, that I know of and ultimate. And that was it. But uh, outside, of that, I couldn't answer that question for you. No problem. Okay. Well, thanks for taking a stab at it. And Fowl Fireball is asking,
0: did Ryan go to any West Coast shows? You said earlier that you haven't, Ryan. I'll just take no. handle that one for you. Um, but let's so let's get into some pickups. Let's uh, yeah. take it away, man. Let's. I, we had a whole bunch of people say they wanted to hear from you on the card, so let's see some. All right. Some pickups. So this
1: was this was from Show Fifty Two this year, and I don't know anything about this card. If someone does in the chat, let me know. And I've always preached like. Do your research before buying a card. I did my research. I could not find anything about it. But I knew from the printing styles, it's anywhere from like 1880s to early 1900s. So this is my favorite pickup from show number 52, which is this Ben Franklin. And on the back, it's all French. Now, I consulted some of my friends that know a ton more than I do about culinary cards, no Franklin, Washington, all that type of stuff. And late 1800s. So it's either a biscuit or a bread card and it's an unmarked. So either it didn't go through a second round of printing to have a set name on it or just an anonymous set. But you guys can see a little bit on the back over there. And then the the style of the borders, it's like a T205 kind of with those gold chips on it. You can see that picture of Franklin himself. I thought this card was so cool. I picked it up for about 30 bucks and I was like, for 30 bucks to pick up a Franklin like this, no brainer. And just to, re- to finish off the year picking that up i'm always going to keep that card that so. remind
0: that because you were talking about those sort of confectionary goods, it reminds me of that card i showed on your channel uh on the video that we just did for on your on your station um the first card i showed was my 1888 Atlantic and Pacific baking soda card that features a on the front a picture of hockey players so that's kind of neat uh, there's a, a bit of a tie in there I
1: like that absolutely so i wanted to show some other Cards from the eighteen hundreds. So this is my second favorite pickup of the year, and I talked about the Goodwin champion of Sullivan that I got. This I actually like better—the image on it and obviously the grade. Because I only got a one and a half or a two, I think, on the Goodwin. But there we go—the Allen and Ginter John L Sullivan. This is a GAI, and I know a lot of people that are near the hobby don't know GAI, but they were a grading company a while ago. Um the silver label means it's pretty good. I know the second generation, I think it's like a white label. You have to double check the cards, but beautiful card in a 5.5. And I got this at the Chantilly card show. I was talking about a little bit earlier. I had to sell a uh 67 Venezuelan of Yogi Bear. I picked that up in Philly and to fund this purchase. So I sold that. I think it was like six or seven hundred dollars. Also a 33 Hornsby that I had. A little bit of cash to pick this up, but this was a grail card. I was searching for it for a very long time. My second favorite pickup of this year.
0: Yeah, and GAI is a grading company that was quite respected for some time. They were they were especially known for grading unopened wax packs, uh, and and respected in that fa- for that service as well. So, but I don't know what happened to them. I don't think they're still around.
1: No, they they ran out of business, I think, or they ended up stopping. I Can't remember exactly, but I think it was what Mike Baker's company.
0: Might have been. I'm not sure, but Rage says that you better say Boston uh, has the best pizza on the planet. Ryan,
1: I, I love Boston pizza, and I can't wait to be up there again in January. So I'm going for the Causeway Show. My friends, like, oh, here said, we go. I, got a...
0: I just want to show. Paul says GAI went bankrupt and rebranded with the white label. Yep.
1: So the white label, the ones you have to be careful for, because I've heard a lot of alterations. I've gone <laughs> through the white label, at least from talking to dealers. The silver labels are a lot better. They're a lot more quality control on that side of things. So another 1800 pickup. This is an old judge of John Clarkson. Really, really like the old judge cards. There's a pretty good image on it. And with these old judge cards, a lot of collectors look at the image more than the numerical grade because these pictures, they fade out over time as they get exposed more to sunlight. So the darker, the richer the image sometimes goes a lot more than the numerical grade, which is opposite of what a lot of people think. But Clarkson was a 300 game winner. I picked this up in Dallas for either 400 or $500, but to pick up an OJ of a Hall of Famer from this period, really, really like it. You guys can see on the back as well. It looks like it was pasted into a yeah. scrapbook at a time, which a lot of these were. And it goes back to alterations too, because with cards in the 1800s, specifically with Ginter's, there's people that would cut the Allen and Ginter advertisement off of these and just keep the card above over here. Or there's people that would scrape off the backs on old judge cards because of the weight. If you guys have seen an old judge card before, they're super thick. And if you build a scrapbook of them, they're going to be really heavy. So a lot of people just cut off the backs on those old judge cards. And what happened now is a lot of old judge collectors will peel off the backs from an actor or actress and reapply that now to a baseball player because the actor and actress is worthless. They don't know who these unknown people were at the time. But if you can reback back a baseball player, then you can get the altered status on it. And some collectors prefer to have that. And a whole nother... Thing, like wide open at least with the old judge cards so people can argue with it but I, I need cool. to
0: admit i don't really follow that i didn't really follow that so people would take the backs off of a off of an actor card and put that back yeah. onto the back of a baseball
1: card correct the reback them
0: to reback them okay okay
1: yeah without, because people are-
0: without caring that there was a mismatch
1: correct yeah i mean so Old Judge made a few different cards back in the day. They had baseball, they had boxing, they had a few a set of cricketers, and they also had the actors and actresses. Now, boxing, cricket, and baseball cards are super, super expensive, but the non-sports side of things, no one knows a lot of these actresses or some of the actors at the time. Cinema wasn't as big as it started to become in the early 1900s, so people will take the backs off of those and reapply them to some of the baseball players.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. Carve, I thank you for being here. You're just uh, you're just being nice and respectful. But if you ever if you want to jump in with any yeah. questions or comments for Ryan, feel free uh, to
1: do
2: so. Carvin, no, I just uh, I'm admiring his collection. That's all. Perfect. Perfect. So, so, just an international show? Would you go to it, Ryan?
1: Absolutely. I wanna I wanna go to one of the Canada shows, whether it's Edmonton or Toronto. But we'll have to I'll see what it happens. Over, if, it overseas? Oh, like in the UK. So they have a they have a big tobacco show over there. One of my friends. Ian was keeps telling me I should go over there. Just all UK type cards, and I really, really want to go over there and check it out because I think I'd have a blast. um,
2: So I think there's shows in Tokyo, there's shows in Australia. So just yes, yeah. Especially if you're talking about cuisine, you can definitely have unique cuisine, especially in Asia. So (laughs) yeah, I
1: very unique. So I didn't know about the shows in Tokyo. I heard about Australia as well from the guy I interviewed with Cricket Cards. He told me, like, it's weird. In Australia, they have different shows, whether it's cricket or rugby or whatever else is over there. It's kind of separated by sport over with their shows. And there's not really a large show over there. It's all regional small shows currently. So it'll be kind of interesting to see in the next few years as the card market expands. If there's going to be, like, a large show in Australia or it going to be the singular shows. I can't speak on the Asian market shows like Tokyo or anything like that. I didn't even know about that, but that sounds really awesome. I know, I know
2: all about the Asian shows and also I can probably bring you to a bunch of LCS too in, in Asia. All
1: right. So. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk about it a little bit because you open this up. I'm curious. So how do they compare to like a national Are they smaller shows where are they located oh, much, at?
2: Much, kind of, smaller, yeah. much, much smaller, much smaller but um, you know, they're, they're expanding. Um, I think there's some, some opportunities to, but even going to an LCS is a complete unique def, uh, experience. So some of my my favorite stores like Mint Collectibles in, in Tokyo is just the store itself. It's like 800 square feet, but they maximize everything. So it's uh, it's a very unique experience. They have a full serving bar in the middle of the store. Really, so, I knew yeah. I
1: knew one collector who was going to try to open up a, a card store and a brewery up in Minnesota. I don't remember if he ended up finishing that project or not.
2: Yeah, but Are this you? one's you no, know, it's it's on the third floor because yeah, everything's so expensive oh. in Asia. Um, you know. And and some of the, some of the car stores in in Hong Kong, it's like 80 square feet. That's it. So two people go go into the store. That's it. It's jam packed. You can't even move afterwards. And they pay, I think his rent is 5,000 a month, 5,000 US dollars a month for 80 square feet. (laughs) So, so I got to ask, is it a lot of like
1: non-sports Pokemon type stuff or Yu-Gi-Oh! Or is it also like American basketball, other sports as well? Or how does that work over there at the shows and also the shops? So
2: Pokemon sells okay over there. Um, there's some magic stores, there's some Pokemon stores, but the the big one is, is always going to be basketball, basketball slash soccer now these days. So they're the they're the number one stores, and it, it's funny, it, it's 80 square feet, but they stack like on the shelves like three cases of cards on top of each other on the shelving around them. So you know it, it is a house of cards; it could collapse at any moment. So, and That's the volume crazy. of business, the volume of people. And the food, it's all street food based and it's all like Michelin recognized street food. So you'll probably love it. Man, I need to make it out there
1: one well, day. Next I'll time go. I go, you're welcome
2: to come meet me over there. So well,
1: let's make it happen. That'd be really fun to do. Yeah. Let's what do about it. me, guys? Can I come?
2: Yeah, you can come. You got to do it. Okay. But the problem isn't in Asia. I don't know how tall Ryan is, but you're going you're gonna to have problems getting to taxis and going into bathrooms because you're, you're just too tall. Car, I'm, I'm, I'm that.
0: Th- th- I spent lots of time working. I spent time working in Asia. I was in, I was in Hong Kong, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur. I've, I've been there, been there, done that. I, I, I did get people staring at me because I'm tall. I, I will admit that they, they, I did get a lot, a lot of people like, "Whoa, you're tall," but, uh, but I could fit into taxis. That, that was okay.
2: Well, in Tokyo, it may be tougher. Tokyo's really tough.
0: I mean, I've yeah. never been there. Never been there. Yeah, Tokyo. There's there's like
2: bathrooms that you'll probably hit your head on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, we
0: we you know Carvin asked the international show question. You mentioned uh, you want to go to the the expo in Toronto or Edmonton, and just so, so everybody is aware, uh, the Sport Card Expo, which has been a staple in the hobby in Toronto for decades now, just yesterday announced that they were expanding out west and they're going to have a show in Edmonton now, which is. A three-hour drive north for me so I could actually drive I don't need to fly I love it Um, it's good you know it's at a a venue where the summit used to be held I think the summit's probably done by now but uh, the the expo is now going to be out in Edmonton and uh, I'm excited for it it's good I think it's going to be the the the, you know a very important show as far as uh, the hobby goes and Canada for sure so Ryan now you have to decide which one you which one you would come to. And I guess it might depend on where you're coming from or flying to after, but any idea which one you would go to?
1: I have no idea yet. So I've planned a few shows for January. I haven't even booked my tickets yet. So I've got to figure out everything for January 1st and move it month to month before that. But also kind of depends on what happens with the border and COVID because yeah. all the new cases, they might close it down again. That's why I didn't yeah. want to go last year because I felt like if I'd put all that money into a flight and then a hotel, they close it down or I get stuck in in Canada. I can't come back for work. And that causes complications.
0: That could cause some trouble for sure. There's a bit of an issue in the chat right now. Uh, Rich says there's 91 people watching. Let's hit the like button. And then Aaron says, apparently people don't know how to hit the like button. So (laughs) guys, let's all get along. Just please hit the like button. And then we're all on the same page here. Everybody's happy. Everybody feels like they, you know, you contributed a little bit to the channel. Apparently, it helps the algorithm, which I know nothing about. I don't pay a ton of attention to it, but I do ask for likes. And I will say, if you are not yet subscribed to Sports Cards Live, go ahead and subscribe. And if you're not yet subscribed to Breakout Cards or Moneyball Cards as well, go do Ryan a favor and subscribe to his uh, his YouTube channels as well. So guys, let's just give everybody a minute or two to go do that. And we'll just we'll just wait for a second here. Okay. That should be enough time. We won't actually wait a full minute, but uh, thanks everybody that does hit those buttons and subscribes. We, we do greatly appreciate it. Ryan, yep. please pick up
1: where you left off. All right. So let's take a look at one soccer card. So I picked up a few Dixie Deans this year. Also some Stanley Matthews. I don't have them on me, but I did pick this up at card show number 51. This collector actually came from overseas to go to this card show and I didn't see him until the show actually ended. Someone told me, did you see the guy with all those vintage soccer stickers? There's no way I miss this guy. And sometimes that does happen at bigger shows. There's so many tables you walk by, you think you go through a row and you actually don't. So I picked this up probably 30 minutes after the card show ended. But I picked up, I think his name is Eusebio, the black Panther. And this is from 1967. And I just think it's a really cool card. I know it's not a rookie, does have a little bit of standing on the back it looks like it was possibly applied to an album at one point but just so cool you don't see it every day i had to buy this card
0: well and it's got the right brand it's got it's a panini card i mean that's really i bought some music cards that you get them and oh this is a panini it's a sticker whatever card i it's kind of kind of interchangeable at this point for me but You know, well, not not across all cards, but, you know, across those old ones. Anyway, it's just neat to see the Panini brand on the back of some of these older cards. I I really like that. Uh, It it adds value for me.
1: Yeah, especially the Italian backs. And then also they have some UK cards for music in the 80s as well. So trying to get that type of stuff and the soccer stickers. There's so much to collect out there once you start researching it and talking to people.
0: I want to thank Brendan Ryan for this card says great content like this always gets the like button from me goes on to say, love the rare stuff that you're showing Ryan. So definitely, uh, definitely, you know, hitting, hitting the points that people want to see. That's great. Uh, Darren Hogan says, uh, how about Pelé? Do you have any Pelé to show?
1: I have, I have have one, I think it's in like the seventies, but I don't have it on me. I need to pick up some of his stuff, but man, they're so expensive right now. I know they're just going to go more expensive long-term, which kind of sucks got a little bit too late on that soccer market
0: let's uh okay thanks for that let's take a second carve take yourself off mute for a minute because I want to uh go to a comment from pushing buttons here he says are the American collectors any more int- interested in f1 cards now than say a few years ago so uh I'm I, I want I know you like to talk about f1 carve you you know sure. you you know f1 I want to speak yep. on behalf of somebody who's new to F1, which I am. And I'm going to just very quickly explain that someone told me to watch the documentary on Netflix. I watched it, all 30 episodes, absolutely loved it, didn't want it to end, couldn't, like, I binged it, couldn't stop watching it. Got to know all the drivers, like all 20 of them, and then probably a couple extra too. There's only 20 real, really 20 drivers a season in F1. I got to know them all, and that was a big reason why i became an f1 fan ever since then i've watched just about every race i record them all and i watch them on sundays i really really enjoy it but i haven't really started collecting f1 cards but i've become a fan of the sport because just it just happened it just happened now i really enjoy watching it and learning about it and reading about it but i'm not collecting the cards a ton because well they're just really expensive i do have a couple but nothing nothing significant all that said you know there's a, i've seen a lot of Narrative and content, a uh, kind of almost like uh, people are poking fun at new F one fans. It's like, well, you weren't a fan of it before. Why are you a fan of it now? Well, because I just discovered it. maybe that's why. And I re- and the documentary was very effective. What a great piece that was for marketing that sport. Wish hockey would do something like that. And uh, it worked. It worked on me. They, they, I don't know if they tricked me or what it was, but I really, through getting to know the drivers, through getting to know the team principals, the teams, the people behind the scenes, it made me want to watch and continue to be interested in the sport itself. Helping knowing the athletes helps quite a bit. So, you know, I do kind of take issue with some of that commentary that, well, if you weren't into it before, why are you into it now? Well, new things happen all the time, right? It's the way life works. So, with that out of the way, Carvin, why don't you answer the question that is put forth here? Are the American collectors any more interested in F1 cards now than a few
2: years ago? Well, of course. I mean, there's a new year of Topps Dynasty F1 and and Chrome. I mean, Chrome Chrome had an SRP of $80 and now it's on for $2,100 a box, right? So, and, and all these cards, the, you know, there's a lot of hammy collectors, a lot of max collectors. Uh, even guys like Sergio Perez um, has a following. Daniel Daniel Ricciardo has a following just because of the Netflix special that we're talking about. You bought some Danny 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 R cards, so, one. Yeah, yeah. one. card, yeah. Because he was he was the first driver that was that
0: was uh, portrayed in the in the whole that was featured in the whole documentary. All thirty episodes, they started with Daniel Ricciardo, and I mean. He's a likable guy, you know, he's a, they, they were smart to lead off with him. He's way more likable than Max Verstappen or even Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Ricardo's got a great personality. Um, So anyway, carry on.
2: So, so I think um, the Netflix is definitely a jumping point for a lot of people understanding who F1 is. It was interesting because when I was taking orders, because I worked for a distribution company on F1, it was like F1, who, who's in F1? Now I'm like Lewis Hamilton, the goat. And they're like, well, who's Lewis Hamilton? I go, why don't you go look at him on in Instagram? And they realize that it's millions of followers. I go, do you realize he makes $44 million a year? That's his number and cool. that's his salary, right? And they're like, 44 million. I go, yeah, name me another athlete that makes 44 million a year. I go, F1 drivers are always on the top three to top five of all time. Like, you know, every year, then the number, the salary, their compensation, that's based on salary. And a lot of people don't even realize that each race, they never discuss what the purse money is for each race, but it's roughly about 120 to $145 million per race they make, these, these car companies, the, the, um, the teams. So, but I think even furthermore from this year on, because everyone watched the, the, the whole series, the rivalry began with Max versus Louis, Louis Hammy this year, and it just kept on going. Like, is Hammy going to break Schumacher's record? if he if he does everyone's cheering against him. they're cheering on for max verstappen and then you know all the drama like crashes and who cut off who and all this it just created more and more and if you watched the austin race you would have saw that there was like a bunch of celebrities almost like it's a it was a it was a who's who celebrities that went to the austin race and in, in for f1 for the us now the ending obviously them being tied going to the last race a lot of controversy but let's look towards next year hammy's back the first race, it's going to be a lights out race in Miami. They just built that F1 track around the stadium, and it's going to be a lights out race, nighttime racing. So it's going to be like you know, you know how Miami can do it. That's what they're doing. They're look at the F1. FIA wants to have two races in the U.S. Austin is going to be its last year. They may want to go back to Indy, as long as there's no tire issues, and I think Indy has the biggest spectator um, motor motorway. So obviously they're going to want an Indy and probably in Miami. So one for tradition and one for the newness, you know, of it. like, you know, the night racing has also become a big thing with Singapore and Abu Dhabi or Qatar. So those areas, I think uh, F1 has a lot of opportunities just because number one, there's rivalries. And I know that a lot of people hate the fact that it's either Max or, or Hammy winning and nobody else involved, but I think that creates rivalries. Everyone always re- remembers Yankees versus Red Sox or, yeah. or let's say Dodgers versus Yankees, you know, you know, Lakers versus Celtics. Rivalry creates the whole, you know, I'm on this side, or who's the villain? It's Max, or who's the villain? It's Hammy because he always wins. Like, you know, he has the better team, you know? So I think that those narratives are good for the sport. And I think the U.S. is grasped on. Outside of soccer, F1 is probably the largest, like the biggest sport that spans everywhere in the world right and I, and I always say i said this and you know i think jeremy's heard heard me say this there's one area in the world like you know they're they're collecting soccer cards in thailand they're collecting soccer cards in vietnam i have customers there so i know this right and they it's all over asia and and parts all of europe is collecting soccer cards now they're collecting f1 there's still one area in the world which is by far the richest people in the world that doesn't collect any sports cards that's the Middle East. So if the Middle East starts collecting F1 cards and then it can bridge into train carts, that's gonna oh. even blow up the trading card market even more, our hobby even more. I'd love to have people from Abu Dhabi and Dubai buying trading cards. These are guys that get into fender benders and leave their Lamborghinis on the streets and don't care about <laughs> taking them back with them. So go right. we'll watch supercar Bondi that's crazy. It's about it all the time, right? So with that said about F1, there's a there's a goat. Of F1, like obviously, my favorite guy is and Senna, right? Or if it's Canadians, Joe Villeneuve, which is Jacques Villeneuve, the F1 champion's dad, who died. But there's a there's a goat that's an Argentinian named Fangio, and that's the guy that you should go after for for an older card. I believe there's Panini cards of him, but it's Vic, uh, not Victor, it's Juan Carlos Fangio, and he also Faggio. died in the race, too. I believe so. So he's a five time champion. So there's something for you to chase, or maybe Jackie Stewart.
0: There so, you go. Something for Ryan. There's definitely something for Ryan to chase when he gets into his his vintage. Couple things. So, um, Ryan, you talked about rivalry carving. A couple guys threw some out there. I put them on the screen. I think yeah. that rivalry is is one of the one of the things that that drives nostalgia. You know, because you yeah. are nostalgic about going to games as a kid, and you're nostalgic yeah. about those ones that you felt the most passion in the stadium or the arena or the ballpark. And so, mm-hmm. I totally see that the other thing i want to mention about f1 and even the personally how i that i became a fan of it so i you know in my career in my in my job uh one of the guy one of the guys on my team who reports to me is a huge f1 fan like his whole life he's from i think he's from iran and he's been a monster of, a, of an f1 fan so so i have this guy he sits right close to me at work And we all, we, every Monday we talk about every Friday before we leave, he's like, are you watching the races? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. What do you mean races? There's one race. He goes, yeah, but I watch it all. He's like, I watch the practice. I watch the qualifying. He watches all of it, right? This guy's hardcore where I just really watch the race. And then you got to watch the, after the, after the checkered flag up because oftentimes the race leaks into that, that show later on. But, but for, for myself, this colleague of mine has been a big part of why i've become interested in it because all the questions i have about the sport he knows all the intricate details he knows everything that i don't know about the sport what the st- the strategy yeah the politics all of it so i have this guy who i see every i see 40 hours a week sort of thing and we can talk about f1 and he can tell me i can say hey i didn't really understand this or that he'll say oh well here's what here's what happened here's why that's been really Uh, eye-opening and educational for me and it's helped us
2: even deepen my interest in the sport overall so 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 the one thing i will say about f1 that has something that no other sports has it has the greatest rivalry amongst teammates yeah amongst teammates in the early 90s it was Ayrton Senna the the reckless Brazilian that takes chances running on fumes uh, driving slick tires so slick tires means the fastest tires on rain in rain so it has no traction whatsoever like he's taking all these risks versus the the ultimate technician in uh alan pros they were both racing for mclaren hondas and these two were so at it they would knock each other off the off the course they didn't care about the team the team aspect and winning the constructor championship they would just hope the other guy would just die <laughs> yeah. and, and you know they always finished first and second that that team was so dominant but that was the greatest rivalry in sports that involved teammates they're both teammates, teammates. and yeah, you know I think what you guys are sorry one sec right but you, you're right and i
0: i would just say anyone who hasn't watched the the documentary on netflix i always forget what it's called need for speed or something like that you you see this happening you see the, these rivalries between the teammates and it's and sometimes when when the when the the team principal says, Hey, slow down, let him buy. They don't want to do it. They don't want to follow the coach's instructions, but they kind of have to. So, um, but Ryan, I want to, I know you have something to say. I want to hear what you have to say, but I also want to hear your perspective on F1 being at all the shows and just how big and popular is it becoming from someone who's walking all these show floors?
1: Yeah. So I was going to say first, like before the F1 bloom, I always thought F1 was a smaller sport than NASCAR. So I always avoided it, but, i was definitely way wrong when i saw the data on it and also people started educating me I was like, damn i really missed this one didn't i um but i didn't realize like how fierce the rivalries were and i definitely need to learn a lot more about that market because my friends are well into the vintage side of things and speaking of card shows like did, at the beginning of the year there's probably barely any f1 now every show i see f1 dealers i mean there's a few guys in florida i think it, the guys in like sports card taxi or it's his brother can't remember there's two brothers that do sports cards over here they have an insane f1 collection on that side of things and then my friends over in dallas has like the max i think he has a few of the reds or something like that and golds oranges all those type of chrome refractors so i've been seeing it a lot more especially like a dallas show there's probably three or four f1 guys that are just dedicated to it but it's definitely leaked out a lot more over that time same with soccer cards throughout the year i keep seeing more and more dealers bringing this type of stuff out which is nice because now it's not all just baseball basketball football and a trinkle of hockey which you see mostly in the northeast
2: right makes sense see jimmy jimmy's jim is the one that got me into like uh, f1 vintage cards but i end up picking up a senna because of his recommendation there's also a mclaren has a card right jim uh bruce mclaren that was in that um that show uh ford versus uh ferrari i think that movie so he'll answer. anyways, it'll that, take us it a while. <laughs> I Just gonna be a Dar- Darcy.
0: Uh, Darcy might be behind in the video. Says, "Hope you guys are doing awesome. Uh, I want to come to China too. Uh, <laughs> only, only if you're one to eat the, the weird
2: cuisine, we're gonna introduce you to." Uh-huh. Darcy, though.
0: So. I'll tell you what. When <laughs> I when I spent time in Hong Kong and uh, I was working for a company, we had offices out there, and our our colleagues. In, a, in the Hong Kong office, would take us out for these very interesting meals, and um, there were many dishes I just flat out refused to eat. Many, many.
2: that's Hong Kong. When you go to China, it's a whole new story. It's a whole. I new bet different. it's
1: even yeah. more extreme, right? Yeah. I I can't imagine international food. That's gonna be fun.
2: Paul oh. Bellblum says,
0: "1966 Panini is McLaren's rookie waiting for mine in the mail." Oh, so he's got one incoming. Congrats, got one incoming already. Very cool. Yeah, this is bad for me right now because even thinking about F1, and when I say think about it, it's, it's, I've said it before, you know, it's a loud sport. Those cars are not quiet. They are loud, but I find it, I find nothing really more relaxing than on a Sunday. You know, these races are often 5, 6 a.m. my time, so I record them, try to avoid social media, and then I watch them Sunday You know, mid morning, my kids playing around me, I got it on and I find it so relaxing. And I just, I just really enjoy the commentary. I love how they, they go off a lot of the time and they, they let you hear what the, what the driver is saying to the, to the team back at the pit. It's so, it's just so interesting. And so I say it's dangerous for me because I'm getting more and more excited about it. Like I'm going to go on a shopping spree later on tonight after this. You
2: have to, um, you have to watch qualifying though. Qualifying is so fun to watch. If you haven't See, watched qualifying I, Saturday, it's it's. I've really- watched,
0: yeah. So I've watched a bit of the qualifying, and you gotta face it: the qualifying has more to do with who wins the race than the race itself. Like qualifying is where, qualifying is what it's all about. I remember playing a, I remember going to the arcade when I was a kid in the '80s, Carvin, and playing a game called Pole Position. Some people remember probably that. remember Pole Position. I now finally realize what how important pole position like what it is like it's so important to get that pole position but i'll let you uh go ahead and say what you're going to say
2: no because the the, when you watch qualifying there's 20 race there's 20 uh, guys trying to qualify and there's like five minute intervals so the first five minutes the last five drop off and it's the top 15 and then the last 10 drop five more get dropped off at 10 and it goes into the soft tires versus the, the hard tires versus the medium tires and then whatever you qualify for your fastest time you got to start off with those tires so soft compound tires have the best grip but the fastest speed but then it's also like you got to go pit quickly right it it wears down pretty quickly so it's it's all the strategy involved and you got to charge up your car let let the computer charge it up and you know so there's all kinds of uh strategy involved at that one. that's why it's 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 fun to watch just if you understand all that stuff that it makes it on a different level
0: and and I don't understand it, but my colleague at work does. So he always fills me in on all the stuff I didn't understand, which really helps as a, as a fan of this sport, Troy, Troy wants to put us all in our place. And he says that Mahomes throwing three touchdowns on a Sunday is more relaxing for me. I love it. Great. Hey, Brian Kingsley joins right. Drivers don't typically win from P 11. Yeah. And yeah. So if you're starting an 11th spot on the grid, you're likely not gonna, you're likely not going to win, but Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton. These guys are so good at starting, you know, deep in into the grid and and working their way up, like you know, from thirteenth to third type of thing. It's very it's very common in F one for the best drivers to uh, to regain uh, the not regain but to move up in the uh, in the race in the, in the in the positions in the positional standings. Brett S says even F2 and F3 are growing in viewership and interest, the future stars of F1. And that's right. It's probably card collectors a lot of the time who are trying to spot who the next good rookies are going to be uh, in F1. Next
1: Definitely. thing you know, there's going to be a Bowman prospects of the F2 and F3 drivers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you do see some uh, F2 and F3 drivers in the F1 product, in the F1, in Topps Chrome, I believe. I don't know if you see it too much. Yeah. Yeah. You
2: you have the f2 teams not not dynasty you only in the chrome you have the f2 teams so that's why yuki sonoda who's on the f1 team um for alpha tori and uh nick schumacher with they were both f2 teams he was the f2 champion but he went up to uh, newman haas is it Newman Haas? it's called newman haas right so oh, so he Newman-Haas. um it's haas that's but anyways uh, yeah so so the f2 will graduate and then this uh, there's a driver by the name of Guan told Yu, is uh, the first ever Chinese driver and he's moving up to F1 for next year so his rookie cards in this year's uh, yeah. F1 yeah so do I they was,
1: drop an they drop an F1 driver down to F2 or F3 or how does that work
2: then so a lot of times they they actually just don't sign them and some of them will go to, to Indy or, or cart right so they'll go to the U.S. or some will drive NASCAR some will drive into uh, I don't think they go to the F2 or F3 because those are I don't think they want those drivers to be there that's the grooming area to become f1 but they'll go into some other aspects of f1 driving too like the different like i think there's the like the hybrid so it was a hybrid electrical cars they they may move into that area um but a bunch of them like uh from the from the this year's set like uh, Roman and gross jane went to cart uh i think uh there's a, there's a few other ones that also left too um, was it kevin magnuson left and he went to a different part of the f1 the circuit. This is not just the, the F1 that raced that day. It's there's multiples that race. So. Uh, I'm
0: no, I'm big, no expert. In, I'm no expert at F1 at all, but, uh, Paul make, Paul makes the comment here that, uh, doesn't think people realize F1 is 95% car 5% driver. The driver is a glorified airplane pilot. Now. I mean, I don't, is that, is this fact is, is it factually data supported
2: 95% car 5% driver? Definitely, if you if you're in the top teams, uh, any driver will will do a lot better in the top teams. I think it's it's teams, but it's also the crew, the pit crew too, makes a big difference. And ultimately, the driver has to make decisions too. I mean, he has to decide what kind of compound he wants to use for his tires. He has to feel of the car. So I mean, I can't. I wouldn't call it ninety five percent car and five percent driver. I think it's uh, a little bit more the driver. But you gotta have the right team, definitely. So.
0: But it is clear and that's something that the documentary made clear is that it is a team sport, even though you don't know that it's someone who's just watching uh, the odd race. It seems like it's all about the driver, but a great driver in a, in a, in a subpar car is going to be held back and that's kind of beyond their control. And that's why in the documentary, you see a lot of the discussions happening between drivers that are driving for one team. And they're already looking to. Net, they have four races left with their current team, but they're about to move to another team for the next season. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it has to do with they want to go drive those cars. I think money has a lot to do with it too. But oftentimes they want to go drive the better car. So it's an it's an interesting sport. There is a, there is a lot going going on there. Uh, to Brett S's question, uh, no, I did not end up getting that card. But thank you. What did it go for? It went uh, the it went for like. 12 or twelve to 16 grand, somewhere in there, I think.
2: Was that BGS 9.5, PSA 10?
0: I think it was a BGS, uh, I think it was a 9.5. I think it was a BGS 9.5. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ice out of 99, yeah. Uh, Here, Neil says, not 95% car, but you need to be on a top team to win consistently. That does make sense. That's kind of what I've come to understand from my very limited experience in being a fan. Uh, Jordan says, those drivers train so hard. And Aaron Westbrook says, "No golfer is eighty percent player, fifteen percent clubs, five percent caddy." And it's also the, the it's also the strategy carved. Like you know, you said the driver needs to make decisions, but the the team, the team principal, I think, is the guy who makes a lot of those big decisions from a strategy perspective during the race.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's the, it goes it goes along. You got to have the right team. I mean, but then that that could be said same for regular sports right if lebron's playing by himself with four other not any good players and then that he's not going to win a championship but he's playing with anthony davis and or he's you know jordan's playing with pippen and and rodman then they become a go team a dynasty team so it, it all depends i mean you can't just sit there and say that's only f1 and nothing else true it, it's all sports you know it, it's, it's all sports,
0: sports. okay guys F1 discussion is over. Albert <laughs> Jones reminded me. Let's see more cards. So no more F1 right. talk, guys. But uh, so, sorry to the people we lost. But uh, as you can tell, uh, me and Carvin like to talk about it. So let's go back to Ryan. Let's see more cards, yeah. buddy. Let's so, see, so, I saw, so, more I, story.
1: so I saw a golf comment. So I'm going to bring you guys to the Columbus, Ohio card show that I went to. Now, out of all local shows that I've been to or even all shows in general, this was the most dominant vintage card show there was. I'd say 90 – or 95% of the dealers there were vintage. And it was interesting because this is right in like card collector two's backyard and up touring his shop after it was really cool to see. Um, but I was able to pick up this duo there. First It's a Walter Hagen rookie. This is from 1926 in SGC seven. It is a strip card. So back to the discussions we're talking about with cutting the strip cards and everything like that. But man, it's a beautiful card. Hagen, one of the greatest golfers of all time. And then I also picked up another hand cut card. There's a lot of hand cut cards in golf which is a 1952 Wheaties of Sam Snead. Absolutely beautiful card. This set had a mixture of all different sports. Sam Snead has two different cards. I picked up the other one in a five, but I just wanted to share this one because I like the image better. But I was able to pick both of those up at the show as well. And you can't find these cards all the time online, especially in high grades. Super cool to see.
0: Albert's stealing the show here, by the way, it's now, <laughs> Albert. It's, we're going to, I got, I got to rebrand now. Thanks Albert. I got to rebrand. It's Albert sports cards live. Give me a week at least please to, to get that. I done. You,
2: Jeremy, Jeremy doesn't even know Sam Sneaks Canadian.
0: No,
1: I don't. I know the name, but I don't know. He's Canadian. <laughs> I didn't know that either. And then from the national, the Bobby Jones rookie. And I looked out on this one because Bobby Jones cards had spiked quite a bit I think I paid one seventy five or $200 for this card. And it's probably like seven or 800 and one of your greatest golfers as well of all time from 26. But man, I, I love picking up different oddball sports when I can, I just,
0: well, you just have, have to
1: know all the different sets.
0: You've got card King wanting to trade away his NBA modern for vintage golf cards. I mean, might not be yeah. the worst move <laughs> actually.
1: Hey, hey, watch, watch the episode with John where he goes over the history of golf cards from pre-war again, like, I think he had one card from the 1800s all the way over to 1952 Wheaties, which I think he showed a Sneed on that as well. So if you want to learn about golf cards, that's an episode to watch.
0: There you have it.
1: So maybe you show some boxing as well. So first off, this is one of my favorite cards. It's not graded at all, but it's a 1951 Rocky. Now Rocky, what, what makes this card interesting is Rocky's an undefeated fighter died pretty early on in life. But this was the first one of the first sets tops actually created uh this was before the 52 tops baseball set now they had the red and blue back cards from the game they also had felt cards in 1950 from football and they had magic with but these are like kind of the first cards tops actually made and rocky is a rookie card in the set you can also find Ray Robinson sugar Ray in that set as well and Joe Lewis those are the big names in there but uh rocky is the biggest one this is centered pretty nice it has a little bit of the white snow effect on it but iconic card and i really really like that
0: ryan here's i have a copy of that too i'll here's my this i don't have it in hand but there's my copy of the rocky marciano
1: what grade is that one
0: it's a six it, i've had this it's, for 10 years probably it's such but, a cool card but there you go man we're card brothers on the rocky marciano i know
1: you also have that you have the i think 48 sugar ray don't you from the leaf or was it the joe lewis that you had as well from boxing it's the Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis. I need to pick up the Lewis. I have only the sugar Ray, but it's a PSA too. Cool it's
0: got, it's got some real bad, like kind of, it's almost like it was in the mud or something in the bottom, bottom corner there. But, but Hey, I, whatever, you know, it's, it's a great, it's still a cool card to have. I'm happy to have so, it.
1: This is one of his three or four rookie cards. There's a Joe Lewis. It's a that PSA classifies as 31 or 32, but I don't believe he was boxing at that time. So I think it was a misclassification but this is a 35 there's a there's a mini card of this as well which is really really scarce then there's this one and then there's another card from that year can't remember the exact name of it but pick this up at the national Sweet
0: card that that is cool i got a have got a another joe lewis card i can't find it right now but darren is asking about marilyn monroe I, i've got a couple marilyn monroe cards do you have any brian uh, ryan
1: I do not yet. I need to research Monroe a lot better. I do have some acting and actresses cards, but the, the problem with like 50s and 60s, I've noticed that a lot of the cards are mislabeled by years. Even like with Elvis, some of the first cards that PSA lists on their website, he, wasn't, he didn't even record a song at that time. So that tells me that the year is wrong because I think he recorded his first song at age 17, but there's cards out when he would have been age 15 or 14. So that's the problem is like trying to figure out when these cards were actually printed.
0: Yeah, there could be, a, I mean, I wouldn't go by that alone. There could be reasons for that, but, you know, but, um, in any event, uh, here's a, here's one of my, I've got a few Maryland cards, but this is one of my favorites. I just Touch. love the image. It's and it's from 1958. Cool. Uh, like how cool is that? Got a Maryland, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Marlon Brando card. Just that's a nice one. too. So cool. So cool. I got a bunch of James Deans, a bunch of Elvises, but here's another nice Maryland card. 1960 Dutch Val gum movie star card, hand cut. I don't mind hand cuts when it comes to this stuff.
1: No, I mean, that's what they were. You can't really ignore them
0: here. I'll just show a couple. There's another Maryland 1962. And then I got, and then this one from 62 as well. Dutch gum cards. I mean, yeah, I, I, I love this one here too. Just too really,
1: bad there's no DiMaggio card with her. That'd been interesting. That would
0: be cool. That'd <laughs> be cool for sure. I once took a picture. I once laid out all my Marilyn Monroe cards and put them around my Joe DiMaggio rookie <laughs> card. <laughs> oh, I
1: you got you got to po- you got to post on Instagram one day. That'd be cool. I to should. See.
0: You're right. I'll do it. I might have done that a few
1: years ago. I may, I'll have have to do yep. it again. Um, so I wanted to show real quick two more other boxing pickups from the National. So first is a strip card from 1921 of Benny Leonard. He was a lightweight champion for eight years in the twenties, I believe. And I picked this up. I don't think the guy knew what it was, but this was the highest graded or the second highest graded on it. This absolutely beautiful card. I think he has one before it, but still early, early champion on that.
0: What year and is that one
1: from? It's a 1921 in an eight and a half. Yeah.
0: See what I love about it because honestly, it's it's a pretty like basic card but i just love that it represents the art and the technology at the time that's how they made cards like that's what i love about it It, It it's kind of like the eye appeal is almost less important to me that than the fact that the card represents how cards were made at the time and i'm a fan of the hobby you know i'm a fan of cardboard so to me that's really cool
1: it's it's fun researching it and this also is a huge boxing pickup at the national I cleaned up at the national with boxing I, I found so many cards I was looking for for a while but this is Sam Langford one of your first black champions in boxing and everyone knows Jack Johnson Langford was another one and then Gans or Gaines G-A-N-S, is the other one they all have 1908 1909 Ogdens I the Jack Johnsons super expensive Langford really isn't but to find this in a five and a half is such a cool card and this is a UK release so you can see that on the back over here. People know the Meccas from 1910, which I think they're a little bit cooler because they have the full image on them. and But this is the first card, and 09s are a little bit tougher than the 08s uh, just because there's more 08s printed, but really cool on that.
0: Yeah, very awesome. Darren says, good call, totally art. The colors are great. Yeah, I agree. The colors are great. It's totally art. It's not something, you know, it's not the most beautiful card I've ever seen, but it doesn't matter. It's, I think it's super cool. Super cool. Jordan rivers. I'm always scared to leave my house. My girlfriend gets mad. I'm always rushing home thinking someone might break in. Yeah. You need your cards to be, that's a whole other topic, right? But you need your cards to be uh, either well hidden or locked away and just inaccessible to thieves, water and fire. All very important uh, things to protect your cards against.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to show off one modern card because people probably think I only collect vintage, but I made the trade for this in Nashville. So at the time the Derek Jeter SP cards were going crazy and I traded a seven of the Jeter SP for this one right here. A Juan Soto rookie auto from contenders number to 49. Now the weird thing right now, I know it's unlicensed, but contenders historically, at least from football perspective, super, super expensive card. And I looked at Soto as one of the best young players in the game. Obviously, Jeter is a legend in itself, but there's millions of SP foils out there. This one's numbered to 49, and I was able to make a trade, get $20 cash back as well. But really, really cool. My One of my best Soto's in my collection on that one.
0: That's cool, man. Yeah. I, and you are not just a vintage collector. You're, I mean, maybe you only collect PC-wise, but when I watch your content, you're wheeling and dealing at the card shows in in all eras, which I think is really cool. Really gives you you a a good overview of the hobby.
1: You have to, you can't really stick with one sport or one thing unless like you're the absolute expert know everything in and out. Because if you go to a show, there might not be that sport or there might not be deals on that. If you know a little bit of everything, you can spot deals and start trading and making things happen. So you need to have a lot of education going on that side.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying is you're going to be, if you cover it all, you're going to just be able to enjoy every card show out there. But on the flip side, if you are more specific with what you collect, then you're going to save some time. You might go to a show. There's nothing there. So you leave, you know, but you, you know, it it comes down to really stick with what you know, stick with what you like. And, uh, and, and if you like it all, like guys like you and I do, Ryan, then you, you have an issue because you do, you have to look at every showcase and every card show and you want it all. So
1: (laughs) And it is still possible to get skunked. I think there two shows or two or three shows this year that I went to and didn't buy anything. So I didn't make a video on those, but like, it's, it's a lot rarer. You just don't want to go to a show and find nothing because it feels bad between all the traveling, spending time at the show. And you just don't find anything knowing a lot more. At least you're able to walk away with one or two cards, which is always the goal.
0: Let's send some love back to Australia. Karen Verma, a great show. Love from Australia. Always good content. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining love back to australia spent a good year of my life there so i have a soft spot for that continent and country for sure for sure daniel busby's discovering the uh, 62 dutch trading card Elvises. i've got a handful of, uh, of elvis cards i probably have more i have elvis and Marilyn monroe are my top two holdings i would say as far as the amount of cards that i purchased when he has I a full my, he has I a full dutch my,
1: set i believe correct six, elvis pardon me Elvis has a full Dutch set like a whole release of just yeah. cards,
0: right? Yeah. I don't know if it's a Dutch set. He has he's got more cards than almost any uh you know entertainer from those era from that era. But um you know, I bought a bunch of them and it's like I I, I kind of just went on this this spree and then I got them all and they all got I bought them all most of my cards from one guy. And then they all came and I'm like why did I buy all these Elvis cards? I enjoy them the least and it's even his music I enjoy the least. When I compare it to the Beatles and the Stones, you know, kind of my other the two other ones I was really chasing. So, I uh, I have I have some extra Elvises, I guess you could say that I will one day be willing to trade them for other cards from that same genre.
1: Stones for, is definitely my favorite of the three. I was so glad to see them a few years ago.
0: Yeah, such a good cool concert. Very great. And with Carvin doing what he's doing with Infinite and the Weekend, I mean, hopefully they will I mean, hopefully just again out of out of self interest. They will catch on and uh, those collections will increase in value over time. I think they're. I just think they're cool. I don't they know. They are. Even though, even when it's like all my other cards, they go up in value. I still don't sell them. They'll, no. They could go down no. in value and I'll be like, oh, maybe I should have sold, but I never will because that's the collector in me just doesn't really allow myself to move those cards.
1: I won't sell them. Only maybe trade them if it's something I've been looking for for a bit longer. So still yeah. looking for it. Still looking for a Ted Williams rookie and then a T206 red cob hopefully with the semi-rare back but those are goals one day which who yeah. who do
0: you want from the t206 set
1: ty Cobb. i want to i want to okay, yeah, i want a red cob with like not a standard back something a little bit rare obviously i can't go towards the top rare backs but probably somewhere in the middle see Just i want the
0: i way. want to i want the red cob also but i i want the sweet cap uh, back because that to me is kind of very typical of t206 it kind of represents that whole set to me the sweet cap back so that's what i would go for
1: the one i like a lot and i know it's not technically 2206 set is the coupon back because people classify it i think is a 1914 there's also a 1919 i believe don't remember exactly but the coupon backs are so cool
0: good well hey i wasn't even familiar with the coupon back uh, variation so okay guys we're at the hour and a half mark so Let's uh, let's wind down, but uh, before we do, I want to make sure that, Ryan, we covered sort of everything that you wanted to cover, so I'm going to put it to you. Any uh, sort of final topics or uh, ideas you want to
1: share? Do you guys want to see a little bit last baseball? I won't talk about the yeah. stories with everything, but we'll go through some baseball pickups. Let's do so, it. I always wanted a, a nice 52 card in my set. Obviously, I can't afford a mantle. I can't afford the Eddie Matthews, but I, I saw the Yogi Berra. And it's an early card of his. It's a five. And it looks really, really nice for a five. So I picked this up in Dallas way back.
0: Love it. I love it, Ryan. I love that. I love Yogi Berra. I love that card. Beautiful. I,
1: I have his bowman as well, but I like this card so much better because black and white versus a full size color card from tops. This is all day long. See, that's
0: where for me I, I have his rookie because it's the rookie, you know, I, and it isn't you know, here. I, I'll bring here it is. It's black and white, but it's still something about that image. I just I just th- there's Yogi Bear's rookie card, ladies and gentlemen, 48 Bowman. And uh, I just love I love this card, Ryan. I love it. Now, I love yours, I've, too, but I love the rookie.
1: Are you frozen? I feel Bowman. I feel like, yeah, I froze for a second. I was say, I feel like his rookie so undervalued compared to like how many rings he won for being a Yankee legend and one of the best catchers of all time. I know bench cards have spiked a little bit recently. And so I've obviously, um, what's the guy's name from the Cardinals? Um, Man, I'm having a brain fart right now. Yadier Molina. No, yeah. I was going to say Yadier Molina as a catcher and Posey cards as well. But I'm surprised it hasn't gotten all the way back to Barry yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree. What's next?
1: So this is a 1922 W575 of Tris Speaker. Now for a lot of you guys, this might look like a caramel, but they also made the W 575s were which were hand cut cards. The highest graded on this one, it's a super low pop. They had different variations. They had the one, the two, then the small versus large. But as the one, this is the highest grade. The only thing on it is someone a long time ago wrote down W five seventy five on it. So you guys can so see just, what I paid for it, but still just I'm scratch a speaker.
0: Crack it out. Just erase that writing and you're good to go. That's a beautiful card, man. I love it. Very oh, cool. Same here. Very so, cool.
1: Next one, I picked this up when I went to Chicago and Orlando the same weekend, is a 54 Al K-line. Now, this set had a ton of really, really great rookie cards. Obviously, there's the Ernie Banks and there's also the Hank Aaron. But be- Some people forget about Al Kaline, a Detroit Tigers legend. If you look at his stats, he's actually better than Miguel Cabrera, which I know Cabrera cards go for quite a lot really really nice on that one a little off center but who cares man
0: that's a beauty i love i love i love the 54 top set and and I, to hockey guy yeah my bad why was i thinking an eraser? just put some whiteout out on it perfect
1: a little foreign <laughs> but, substance hey, people do use white out that's one of the alterations i talk about in the book cool
0: what's so, next oh stand love that the man
1: what so a, that's so i nice. picked i picked this up in miami i think it was only like seven or eight hundred dollars which I look at the prices of the the leaf of Jackie Robinson and they're crazy expensive. Now, statistically, Stan Musial is better than Jackie Robinson, but the impact on the game, obviously, Robinson made such a big difference. But Musial was such a great player for the Cardinals. And I mean, statistically better than Albert Poulos as well. Now, people don't know about leaf. It's a 48 and 49 release. Musial does have a 48 Bowman. So I look at both the leaf and the Bowman as a rookie card. Some people only say the Bowman is a rookie card. I look at it just because the set was a two-year run. Some grading companies say it's a 1948 leaf, others say it's 1949 leaf. A lot of debate within the hobby, but either way, I like this card a lot better than the black and white. Stan is a legend.
0: That's a, I love that card too. I I love I love it, man. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. I want to be a quick shout out and thank you to Dex Flow for the uh for the super chat. And Ryan, he wants to sing you a little safety dance song, if you will, from uh Men Without Hats. I, I I had the cassette single for this song back in the '80s, I believe. So, Dexflow, love it. Well, there there's nostalgia, Dexflow. I I should I should send you a super chat for uh, for taking me back to that. I, I used to love this song. That's uh, the video. It's one of the first videos ever was uh, was this song too. I remember watching it on Friday Night Videos. Sorry for that, uh, but thank you, Dexflow. No again, thank you very much.
1: So two more. And these were both trades. So first I picked this up at trade night. I think this was the first major trade I did out at trade night. And this was at Tampa Collectors Con. A card that I wanted for quite a bit because of his impact on the game. Oh Roy campanella campy. as a CS as a CSG seven. So wait, let me let me
0: let me show mine. I have the same card, so let me just put it up beside yours. Here's mine.
1: Let's see if this focuses. Zero oh, they're
0: seven? both sevens too. There we go. Very nice. I so, love this card. I, I, it's
1: so cool. So cool. So the story on this one, usually when you go to trade nights, it's 95% modern. So if you're a vintage guy going to trade night, I'm sorry, you're not going to have the best time unless you're trying to trade modern for modern or find that one person that has a vintage card that went to trade night. Now this was the case. This guy had a 49 white campanella and he liked some of my vintage cards. So I was able to trade A 1955 Hank Aaron, which I've had for the longest time. I picked it up at a flea market probably when I was 10 or 12 years old with my dad. Then I trade away a Frank Robinson that I picked up in 2020 at a card show for I think like two or $300 and recently got it back from grading. It was a PSA six, which is nice. I wanted to keep the Frank Robinson, but I had to parlay it into this trade to get the campy, but you just don't find sevens all the time. And I knew that I didn't have that opportunity to get seven if I didn't pull the trigger and I'm so happy to, man. Some people don't like CSG, but look at just look how nice the card is inside. You always buy the card. Don't always look at the case with slab and CSG still has all the old Beckett graders. So it's not like they're a random startup company. They know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. They have two of the old Beckett graders who have then gone on to train the team, which is very important. I I agree with that. Um, Yeah. An amazing card. I I absolutely love it. Troy says, there you go, Ryan, white out that ugly green label. That's a (laughs) CSG I, I made the comment before. They they get some of my business if they change that label, but unfortunately, the, and not that I I would buy their cards secondary, but I wouldn't submit to them because I don't want my cards in that in that outfit. It just doesn't look good to me. So, too bad for for both of us. I guess they don't get my business, and so I, I don't get the value of their nice holder. Never mind the label. I will say and, the and
1: holder. The holder is so nice, like it's crystal clear compared to some of the other ones. But I just don't like the label. That's yeah, just me at least. Fair,
0: fair enough. Fair enough. Hockey Guy calls out Pop Goes the World is a great song, too. Yep. Yeah,
1: pop goes. Yeah. I'm not gonna sing, but I could. <laughs> All we gotta hear is some live singing. But no, my yeah, <laughs> you will whip
0: out your guitar. Oh, here comes your big card. Here go. comes your big card. Yeah, so
1: so one card probably demonstrates what can happen by going to card shows and working hard. And this is a card I would not be able to afford without trading and willing and dealing. The Walter Johnson, but it's not only just a standard Walter Johnson. It's a rarer back because it's an overprint. It's a factory. I think it says 150, 649. And I'll show you guys that in the back over here. So you can see this is crossed out over there, 150. And then factory number. I don't know how well it's shown, but 649. Also, something really cool is it has dealer stamps on it. It has two stamps. So it has this one over here and this one. And a lot of guys won't understand what the dealer stamps are, but way way back before i was born dealers used to stamp cards to say if they own the card or not so people didn't steal them instead of like how we people have top loaders now and can mark them with their own thing so they put stamps on them this has two dealer stamps so this card has been around a long time in the hobby so see, there's that backstory on it
0: Oh, go ahead. Cr- ryan the that see that's something that is so unique to the hobby it's not some kid writing their name on their card it's a dealer stamp i think that. That could add value now, it probably doesn't, but I could see a time or a world where that would add value to the card because hey, I've got the card, it's mint, whatever, it's in great condition, and it's got two dealer stamps. Like, that's got to be rare, I would I, think. I it's thought I, more thought, well,
1: it's an alteration, but no, it's 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 <laughs> it's like it's a really cool card no. on that side of things. It's a so, cool, but you know,
0: stamp redemptions are another thing. I've got a stamp redemption card right. in my collection, a George Hainsworth from 1920 something. I think that's cool. The card traveled that they, it was, it's, it's a stamp. It They stamped it when it was redeemed yep. for the, for the premium. To me, that's better than a non-stamped card.
1: No, I like I like the history of it. So that's why I had to pick it up. Well, I would have picked up Walter Johnson anyways, but it adds yeah. to the story, right? The, the rare back, the two stamps, it's the portrait, which I really wanted over some of the other yeah. Walter Johnson's in the set. But here's why this kind of shows what can happen at a card show. I saw this in a dealer's displays case for, I think it was like $1,800 or 2000. And throughout the whole Dallas card show, I wheeled and dealed all day long trying to find vintage cards and modern cards that people would like. This guy had a mixture of vintage and modern. So I found some Acunas that were underpriced. I found some vintage football cards. I think one was like a Unitas. One was a Pete Rose for baseball side of things. And I, I got a stack of cards that I found were underpriced and I walked over to the guy and First off, he was arguing with this guy because he had a fake, he sold him a fake Kobe ovations auto. Someone walked up to his thing. So I was there patiently waiting for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, saw that whole ordeal happen. And then I traded right after that was solved for the Walter Johnson and I paid a couple hundred dollars in cash on top of what I traded throughout the day. And I got into this card well under a thousand dollars. And now even finding it two with a normal back is I think like $3,000 plus. And I, I know I wouldn't be able to afford a $3,000 card, but being able to go to show trade all day long to be able to get a Walter Johnson, that's, that's amazing, my favorite man. pickup of the year.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. I love the yellow background. Cause with, with those cards, I'm, I'm more used to the greens and the, and, and the, the reds like you see on the Ty Cobb's. but that, that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful card. Uh, brian basketball card says prominence i think he means provenance though in terms of uh in terms of the the dealer stamps on the card that's provenance on the card and to me that's what makes it cool it's it's, it's so like stamped hard. right especially if those dealer stamps if anyone could tell us where they respected dealers were they were, were they you know um well known and and uh i think that's just that's super cool. I just, I, I would love, I would
1: love, lo- I'd love to do some research on it to see if someone knows it's uh, the first one is Clemens. Another one. Yeah. So, really they're, cool, they're, man, everyone really knows. Cool. And knows Clemens as a dealer, someone will be like, I know who that is.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we're, we're, uh, we're coming to the end of this. This has been great. I mean, I apologize to everybody who doesn't care about F1 that we spent a good 20 minutes on F1, maybe a bit longer, but uh, it was fun for us at least. Um, any any uh car you've been quiet for a while i appreciate you you sticking around though and let's uh we'll go to final comments from uh from from carvin and ryan then we're going to wrap this up and and i'll let everybody know that uh tune in tomorrow i'm gonna have a great show on the collectible live on collectible live with um brad hartland who heads up psa canada uh so that'll be that'll be great so check that out on the collectible youtube channel Tomorrow we'll go live at 7 p.m. It's it, the show has changed a lot from when, from when we first started it in September. Now it's a lot like Sports Cards Live. It's really an interview with the guests, and then we talk a bit about some of the the IPOs coming up on the collectible platform. But we do it in a, what I like to think is a really interesting way. So check it out and subscribe to that if uh, if you wouldn't mind. But um, final comments, Carve. We'll start with you. Well, first yet off. again, your your second time
2: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, Ryan. I Love love your uh vintage uh take on everything uh, pre-war and uh at your young age it's uh definitely appreciated. you taught me a lot more about vintage cards today than i have learned in a long time so uh, i haven't i had my eyes on a few of those cards but uh, i don't own any of them i'm still going after my own legacy cards for my daughter so but uh you know a lot of respect and uh, great job on on all, all you're doing so uh, 40 40 shows is still a huge achievement this year but definitely hit the states and let's, let's go travel internationally so definitely i want to do it yeah there and you thank go. you for everyone and happy new year again so
0: well thanks for sticking around Carvin, coming on the late show i appreciate it. it's great to have you
1: rye yeah hey thanks jeremy for having me on thanks Carvin, for joining now i appreciate what you're doing on the music side of things because you guys can see a little bit i play guitar i love music before i before i was addicted to card shows i actually was addicted to concerts i've seen over 300 bands so i used to go to a ton of concerts like every week i'd see try to see who's in town between rock metal some bluegrass as well and just go out there and see the concerts and have fun with it so i'm, I'm so glad that this is another like asset in the hobby where music cards are now going to be creative it's not something we'll be chasing after for quite a while
0: right on right on uh, Troy, thank you so much. He thanks all of us. That's great. Brian basketballs. Appreciate you as always. And everyone else in the chat. Thanks for joining us uh, on both the early show with just Carvin, the late show with Carv with Ryan and Carvin. That's it. I'm not going to ask you to subscribe again or hit the like button unless you want to. And uh, again, uh, next week here, I'm just going to quickly throw up on the, on the ticker right now, upcoming episodes. So, Next Saturday, Ryan Stuzinski. He is the guy behind Gemrate, a really interesting website, gemrate.com. Check it out. He'll be joining me. And then the week after, we've got a double feature Tim from Slab Strong. And then my buddy Sean Cates, who is Mr. Victory Investments. If you're on Instagram, you probably follow him. He's the guy that wrote, uh, sang, performed, edited, did everything to do with the Sports Cards Live opening video and song. It's all him. So he will be joining me uh, on two weeks from now on the 15th. So guys, thank you so much for joining. I'm going to run through the final comments here. Thank you very much, Neil. Great to have you. Hockey guy says, hit hit a button, any button. That's right. Hit a button, any button. The safety dance. No (laughs) doubt. Thank you, Vintage Cards. Thank you, everybody, for joining. We're going to end this right now. You two hang tight right there for a moment. Everybody else, if I don't see Uncollectible live tomorrow night, Have a great week ahead. Happy New Year to everybody. A safe, healthy, and wealthy 2022. Good night.
2: Seeking the truth
1: never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.